This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host G Sampath. A parliamentary standing committee on education has flagged its concerns over a key element of the national education policy or NEP as it's called 2020. the multiple exit and entry system for students in higher education this uh, parliamentary committee's report which is titled quote unquote implementation of the national education policy 2020 in higher education says that a policy of multiple entry multiple exit for undergraduate students may not work well in the indian context and it took this view apparently after there were strong objections to it from students and teachers and already some states uh, especially kerala have refused to implement the multiple entry exit system so what exactly is the rationale behind the government's push for this feature in college education how is it meant to work how has it worked in other countries and why are students opposed to it we discuss this aspect of the national education policy in detail in this episode of in focus and we have with us Professor Anita Rampal, former Dean, Faculty of Education at Delhi University. Anita, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. So, uh, to start with, can you explain what exactly is the multiple entry, multiple exit, or MEME as it's called system, and how does it work in Western countries? From where I think the idea has been uh, taken from. Um. what this policy has proposed is that students can leave first they have proposed a four year undergraduate program as opposed to most of our undergraduate programs bring three years other than professional courses or you know some other course so one is that and that has been done on the basis of no uh, evidence or studies or even requirements of why this should happen in fact it has it's been done despite the university delhi of Uni- university of delhi's experience of a four year program which was then retracted and revoked that four year program so why this has happened is again something that is very worrying and that's what teachers have been constantly questioning and so have students um when we look at what this means is they say that in any four year undergraduate program you can leave allow students so that they can leave after first year and get a certificate and if they leave after second year they can get a diploma after third year they can get an a ba degree and after four years they can get the honors degree it's something like this that is being uh, offered and recommended and what is being said is that this will function on the basis of credits that students accumulate for every year that they may have done and that is going to be kept in a bank in fact not just the undergraduate uh, credits but also the school credits so everything that they do will be kept in a bank called the academic uh, uh, bank uh, of credits and that based on this if they have got credits for say the first two years and they have got a diploma but they can come back and join uh, and what is being said is they can join any other institution and they can then continue for their third year or fourth year now this sounds as if it's 
very student friendly and you know very flexible and that is what is being used the buzz around it that is being used is especially for the middle class that you know you're going to have a choice you didn't get into one institution maybe you can at a later stage etc a lot of these are misleading a lot of these are also uh, confusing for students and what we are finding is for academics it's extremely frustrating because just developing a course which allows for anyone to leave at any time someone to come in in second year what is the value of that course how are you going to build its foundations uh, this is what is now causing major problems amongst the academic community and the best teachers with the best courses that they are teaching they have said and delhi university is the one which has been pushed into it the first of all and our best teachers who offer courses in very eminent colleges are saying that one they have they find that the given courses as they've been designed uh, are giving are allowing only say in the first 3 years if we compare that with the earlier courses or uh, a degree course in the same college for 3 years at present now they are allowing only 50% of the discipline of courses from the discipline to come in vis-a-vis 75% of a 3 year course in which 75% of the content uh, courses were based around the discipline and also the time that the students spent so one it is a dilution of any disciplinary course and uh, second it's a De, uh, decrease of the workload of teachers teaching these courses teaching good disciplinary courses so they say that their workload reduces because the number of courses that now they are teaching around that discipline are going to be much fewer and so they are saying immediately even in the first two months students find it frustrating students who have come and may have come clearly for a given discipline and wanting to do that rigorously and in depth are finding that most of their time is being especially in the first year is being what at students look at it being wasted in inconsequential courses in courses which do not help them understand that discipline better and things which are can be taught by any teacher maybe you know uh, something to do with communication or something even if they have not sought those things so in short it is diluting the disciplinary component the academic rigor the depth to which serious teachers have always taught and expect students to engage with the second thing is that the academic courses credits that are supposed to be accumulated are again a problem you know we one we find that students if they come and came in for a three year course and in our courses say in, in delhi university uh, they would actually the student agency of you know of students would be to try and complete this course so the dropout rate was not so high unless especially under in under covid it may have happened or you know something but say 2 to 3% i'm just giving a very general figure around courses not as high even less than that and uh, students would struggle hard to complete that course because they knew what it meant what value it had to get admission into this course and also the need to complete it so the biggest struggle were, was for people from disadvantaged backgrounds the biggest struggle that we have seen is from women girls who get pressures 
about trying to do other domestic chores or in trying to get married before a certain age, you know, and then, oh, well, you can, if you can always collect these credits, what's the hurry? You can then come back and complete it, which we know does not happen, does not happen mostly and will happen under great uh, stress to uh, the family and the student. So this kind of casualization of the course itself, you know, it's in a way encouraging. If you, If I look at the motivation behind such courses is to encourage courses which almost give you some kind of paper certificates, align you with a gig economy, which is anyway casualization. And, you know, you are responsible. You are the person. You don't know who employs you. You are the one who has to, uh, the blurring, the boundaries between who is employing and who is being employed. And you are responsible for what you do. Similarly here, the student is responsible. Everything is being put on a student's choice, on the student's decision. And it's it's assumed that even the economics of this, because the biggest factor that is affecting our university is that a large number of students come from outside Delhi. It's a central university, is one of our best central universities, and students come from across the country. And when they come, they don't have enough places to stay, so they are, and we know how they have stayed in post, uh, you know, in PG accommodations and all kinds of different accommodations. It's expensive. And the cost of staying is much more often than the cost of the course in a public university. So they are already constrained economically by what, by, you know, wanting to do a good course in a good university. And now if you say that from three years, you have to do it four years, a large number of them, there's going to be a large attrition in that ability and the number of students who can come and do this for four years, plus the tuition fees for these courses is going to go up. We find colleges already uh, raising their tuition fee in some courses. Uh, the, the Delhi University colleges have differentiated tuition fee. And so this, again, is a major factor which influences students. And people have questioned why, what is the logic for increasing the economic burden on students? Right. I mean, that, that those are quite a few concerns uh, which you have elaborated on, Anita. Thank you so much for that. I mean, you have spoken about a dilution of disciplinary content uh, from 70%, which was the norm earlier, to 50%. You've spoken about a higher, uh, a likely higher dropout rate or attrition from the course, given that you can always think of, you know, coming back later, which doesn't really happen that often, especially for girl students. And then you also spoke about casualization of the entire academic framework, which is in sort of parallel with the casualization of the workforce increasingly aligned to a gig economy. And you also have flagged the fact that there is a financial dimension to it all where tuition fees are likely to go up. Now, that is quite a lot of uh, issues around this one uh, element of the NEP. Now, going back to the Parliamentary Committee's uh, report, I quote from it. It says, if institutions allow uh, MEME, it would be very difficult for them to predict how many students would exit and how many would join midway. Since institutions would not know the in and out traffic, it will certainly disturb the pupil-teacher ratio. So now, I mean, coming in, in the light of all that you have already flagged, this teacher-pupil ratio seems to be like a secondary concern. But nonetheless, I mean, what are your thoughts on this, given that this entire system is not invented by the government of India? It has been in operation in the West. 
how have they addressed all these problems which we have just been uh, talking about we can come to that because there are two different aspects of how different countries are looking at it and you know what they are seeing but uh, one thing is that our numbers are much larger than what we can imagine in any of the university courses that we might look at with, where they might, op might offer this kind of a, an option you know a multiple exit multiple entry option the numbers are nothing as compared to the number of students we deal with and like I was telling you that our teachers are extremely worried about their disciplinary workload having gone down. But the, the push, like earlier they had a tutorial with 10 students. Now the UGC just forces them into a model with 20 students. So, you know, where is the logic? What is happening? Now you're forcing the same teacher to be doing a tutorial with 20 students, which doesn't make sense. You can't give that kind of a, you can't have that kind of a, a ratio of students understanding each other because a tutorial is not just teacher-led. So the purpose of a tutorial is lost if you there suddenly double the uh, student strength, you know. So PTR, pupil-teacher ratio, is extremely crucial in terms of the teaching-learning process and what happens, what comes out of that teaching-learning process. And our universities are not just meant to pass an exam and get some marks in that. Our universities are meant for students to understand each other, to nurture democracy. All our university policies from Radhakrishnan committee onwards have spoken of that, of a pluralistic environment, of understanding each other, of equity, you know, bringing in all this into higher education and into learning. Because uh, that is one platform where you start understanding, even say you're looking at a concept of one, any one concept, you're looking at the concept of water or economy, or you're looking at uh, you're, any anything that you're trying to look at, students have different perspectives depending on where they come from. So you share those perspectives, you question and interrogate what your understandings are, where you've come from, and then you have a more holistic and a more a larger perspective within you. You can understand and engage with very, very nuanced and complex concepts, whether you're doing a technical subject or you're doing environmental or you're doing, you know, a social science. The idea was that the universities offer you that democratic space. The university space is crucial for various kinds of learning, not just limited to one particular discipline. And the pupil-teacher ratio and the nature of that transaction is crucial to that learning and to how universities have envisioned uh, higher education and nurturing of democracy, nurturing of the best possible potential development of each student, wherever that student comes from, uh, and an understanding of uh, the social environment around you so uh, if if the pupil teacher ratio is going to get totally skewed as they rightly predict that you know you can't you're not so, Anita, certain before, of what's going i just to wanted to interrupt you to ask some some questions See, i yeah. i was talking to some lecturer uh, some uh, professor recently from iit and she said she was going to give a lecture to a class of 300 students now we know that in many in many uh, institutions we have uh, lecture rooms uh, which where like 100 200 300 people uh, they take a class so how is the tutorial different like what is the tutorial why does it have a specific number of uh, students per teacher can you please explain that because a tutorial is not just lecturing 
in fact, teaching should never be lecturing, but if you have 300 students, it almost ends up as lecturing. But teaching and learning is a process which is much more engaged, uh, which comes through a lot of discussion, students' involvement and participation and questioning, and rethinking of many of the ideas that many um, students or teachers might bring with them. So that is the purpose of a tutorial. That is what you go into depth of something and students make construct knowledge. It's not just someone's lecture and it's come, you, you've listened to it and you know maybe you, you just take some notes and prepare for that. So the role of tutoring a tution, uh, and tutorial, and for instance, in, in my tutorial, when I, uh, when I was teaching a, a course in policy of education, uh, the tutorial could be on something else. The tutorial would be, we would choose what the issue would be and we could do book reviews through tutorials. And we'd really enlarge our horizon of how students had to go and explore, come back, justify why they wanted to look at a book, what was it about it, and then share it with the other students. Or go into depth with some kind of a concept which you can't do in a, in a large class or in, you know, in a regular teaching learning process. So that enhances and enriches the process of teacher, teaching learning. And it looks at diversity. It's sensitive, culturally responsive to students coming from different places and allowing that engagement, which in a large class may not happen. Some may not ask, some may be silent, some may dominate more. So a tutorial is meant to bring all that. Right. So now in this uh, multiple entry, uh, multiple exit system, where, as you said, a student can exit after one year with a certificate, after two years with a diploma and so on, so is it not likely to create a scenario where students might be, you know, especially those from disadvantaged backgrounds, might be pushed into the labor market prematurely there or they don't have the funds to, you know, immediately go ahead and do the third year and the fourth year? If they get pushed into the labor market prematurely, won't it then uh, lead to a very difficult or strange scenario where you already have a high rate of unemployment in the country. And then you have students who are not yet graduates also competing for more or less the same kind of jobs uh, before they uh, before they finish it. And probably many of them may also be taking some kind of an educational loan to be allowed, to be able to fund their uh, degree or honors degree or whatever through uh, through the fourth year and so on. Absolutely. In fact, they won't be competing with those who you know, may have finished that degree or that, or they will be actually left uh, uh, to their own resources with people who've not done higher education. Because what does one year of higher education uh, give you? You know, one certificate in higher education doesn't give you any value. So uh, it's just notional, as I said. That's why I said it's aligning with an economy which is casual. You've got something, you think that you have done one year, so you've got at least recognition that you spent time and money in one year, but that the value of that is going to be very, very, it's going to be hardly anything. We know even with a graduate degree, students are applying for degree for jobs which don't need higher education. So what do we think is going to happen with many being pushed out after one year or two years? And this is being forced on us even in professional courses. Traditionally, professional courses are those which are tied to certain professions, like say teaching, becoming a teacher or an engineer. We in the teaching profession are being told, no, no, you have to design the course so that 
students can leave after one year. What does that mean? What can a teacher education course in one year uh, do? And we in Delhi University have run for 25 years, have run one of the best four-year courses straight after school, an undergraduate bachelor of elementary education. And now all that is being shoved aside and we are told, you know, you have to design this new model of one, you know, it fits sort of one model fits all, except that you just give different and exit and entry. The problem also with multiple entry is something you're giving a false promise. You're giving a false promise that you can change your institution. You can go somewhere else. That does not happen. Uh, so that is, again, uh, falsely, you know, you're misleading students to think that, okay, you didn't get admission here. Next time when you can try in your second year, you might get the universities run in such different manners. The, the, you know, the capital requirements that you have, the social capital that you need to enter a certain institution does not allow just anyone to come at any point. So, uh, but, you know, this is linked with, and that is something I want to underline. This is linked with the University Grants Commission now saying, I mean, already the order is there. It's not implemented at Delhi University, but this is the most damaging and detrimental order. In fact, this says that 50%, you design your course so that 50% of your students can get credits from an online, anywhere. They can get credits from anywhere, including online shops, or, I mean, online courses, which are like shops, you know, which will be like shops. So what does it mean? I'm designing a course in uh, mathematics or I'm designing a course in sociology, and I should design it so that 50% of my students whom I'm teaching can be doing, getting their credits from anywhere else. What does that mean? So this, again, is something which is completely going to cause, uh, uh, you know, damage even the good existing courses we have. Yeah, I mean, I mean on this uh, on this topic, Anita, I was just uh, listening to someone say that uh, she, she's a professor in one of these universities and she was saying that all her lectures are being recorded and they're going into some kind of an online uh, treasury of recorded lectures, which will then be utilized for uh, these 50% online kind of uh, courses. These are two different things. One is that if I am teaching a course, I am told that of that course, 40% should be something which can be in hybrid mode or which can also be offered online. So that's me teaching and my course being allowed to be online. But the other thing is that my student has the uh, entitlement now to take only 50% of the courses from my college or my university and 50% of the credits from my college and my university and 50% of the credits from anywhere else. You see, that is even more problematic. So a student joins a college. Uh, with very difficult uh, admission processes, has managed to get, uh, uh, you know, a good, uh, well-recognized, uh, well-acknowledged course in college. And now being there, the student chooses to do only the more easy ways of getting marks and takes 50% credits to take any other kind of course from, as I said, it can be an online shop, it can be another university, it can be something which is really low standard there's nothing there's nothing that stops you from doing that you're just getting your credits from somewhere else so then how is this person suppose it's an iit student suppose he gets 50 percent of his credits from iit 
and another 50% from uh, i don't know gaziabad uh, yeah. institute of history some random then how was his degree an iit degree then that's the question that's the question that you're saying that you have the flexibility to do this but then you're giving iit itself will be concerned about you know acknowledging and accrediting someone with its degree uh, uh, whereas uh, the person has collected and accumulated uh, all these credits from we don't know where how reliable that is what did that mean how were they assessed how were they evaluated who taught them using what resources or what kunjis where did they do that so my course the my that's what is really alarmingly frustrating for our good academics and our teachers is even if i design my course well and try to do which is difficult but if i it's a nightmare but if i try to do something that allow students to you know enter and exit and all that which as i told you is right now not feasible but if i did that even after that those of the students i have in my class can go and collect 50% credits from anywhere anywhere in this space what does that mean how does that my course retain its value and its reliability but the accreditation is being done by my university or my college what does it mean so i played around with everything by allowing this and that's what is happening right no uh, this this kind of you know mixing up online and taking credits from other places the online teaching jobs uh, with uh, accredited uh, courses from esteemed whatever deemed uh, like uh, credentialed institutions now all this is there a link uh, between these uh, kinds of developments and including uh, this multiple entry system also is there a link between these and the increasing pressure we have been seeing lately on higher educational institutions uh, to become self reliant with regard to funding you know we also have read reports that uh, the, what is it there is a funding agency right hefa uh, hefa yeah. yeah they it's been asked to sort of that's source, for loans and what yeah it's been asked to source funds uh, more and more from other uh, sources a donors rise and rely on government uh, grants so uh, how, how does that uh, development sort of tie in with uh, all this all that we are seeing happening uh, with regard to the academic aspect of things see one is of course that when you leave institutions and you leave it to them to garner their funds and resources you are taxing them because uh, as as we saw if teachers are given less workload they have less workload students are going to take courses from anywhere else well i need few teachers then so i don't have to give teachers salaries i don't have to have regular tenure i can have ca casual guest you know whatever so one is that level that you're trying to do a lot of your uh, funding uh, you know it fund crunch but you're trying to then optimize it in this questionable way uh, the second is that yes it will also depend on the fee that the you're forcing institutions to charge for a fee uh, because uh, they are not going to get support from they are they being forced to take loans but they're not getting support for their salaries from uh, the normal ugc and other grants that they got it so they'll raise the fee so then again certain courses will become like they were earlier the self financed courses you know where you pay much higher fee even in a public university so Uh, this this policy has pushed for that that you encourage that and what they are calling autonomous colleges 
autonomy is only in terms of you raising your funds, nothing else. Uh, you know, there's much, there's strict control in terms of the curricula that are coming. It's mostly centralized, all these diktats that are coming of what credits where and what the curriculum should look like, how much freedom do you have? As I said, there is a, 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 an eminent college where there is there are eminent staff teaching mathematics, but they're forced to do these so-called additional courses. Many of them, they can't, they don't have staff. So they can't offer that, but they're forced to do something like Vedic mathematics, which is neither Vedic nor mathematics. And mathematics honor students are being forced and teachers are being forced to offer that as a, another course of mathematics honors. And this is all because of the structure which has been given to them. Okay. That's uh, that's quite uh, a lot of stuff to chew on, Anita. Vedic mathematics, I mean, we don't have enough... Uh talented uh, doctorate holding mathematicians in the country to teach Vedic mathematics. Okay, uh, that's... Uh... Vedic mathematics is not mathematics, neither is it Vedic, you know. This is a misnomer, this term, how it came in and the history of this term. But now what happens is in this college, the Sanskrit teacher teaches it. Okay. So which has nothing, as I said, there's nothing called Vedic mathematics as far as mathematicians and scientists are concerned. Enough has been written about this earlier uh, uh, by our, you know, by well-known scientists and people who worked on these areas. There, there's nothing that. So you're forcing a dubious course onto a student who's come to do serious mathematics in a very eminent college with excellent faculty. Right. So Anita, uh... We just have about say, three minutes left. Do you, do you want to talk quickly about the case studies in the West, you know, where they do have some kind of multiple entry and where students, I think, it. I mean, my understanding is that it sort of works because students are able to work side by side with their courses. Uh, no, I, I like, for instance, in Australia, there are uh, some uh, studies that one has seen that, you know, uh, around 2009 and later, Australia developed a demand-driven system, which they said that universities had to offer unlimited access, you know, I mean, that uh, they, they must provide unlimited places in most of the degree programs. And they created that kind of an, a, a system. But what happened was that this was at the undergraduate level, and they started offering postgraduate courses, which would have this multiple exit or entry in which uh, often students didn't get recognition for even partial completion of the courses they did. But it was, in a nutshell, I'll say that what happened was that most students that were being transferred between, even at the postgraduate level, between you know, different universities trying to get courses which this system seems to allow, they demanded, they were seeking transparency and consistency of the credit transfer arrangement because they did not think it was consistent. Uh, Non-universities providers really upped their offerings. As we said here, it'll happen with our online courses. Anyone who's got nothing to do with university academics, these are these uh, mm, mm, online providers. That's what happened in Australia too. And uh, also there were questions about these nano or micro degrees or what they call badges because it was not a degree they would offer them something called that deregulated tuition fee because a lot of these massive online courses came in and in the fee structure really increased because it was totally deregulated with the result that 50 percent of student attrition was noticed because of this 
because of these changes. Now they are worried that if the if students themselves are, have left and the most disadvantaged are the are disproportionately uh, being pushed out and the accretion is higher for them. Now they're trying to say that given that system, can we do that even at the undergraduate level? So at least give them some recognition for the incomplete courses that are happening. But I'm saying that we can see that already what was ushered in as multiple exit and entry has created the problems that we are anticipating. And we are not a system which has uh, in any way, any way close to being uh, fully, you know, unlimited access to anyone who wants to come into uh, higher education. Our policy says that if you want good quality education, you will have to seek online. The best way would be to do it online or distance courses. The policy is not promising at all uh, any uh, new institutions or any possibilities of getting higher education for those who have never accessed this. So I'm just saying in Australia, we know the context within which what they have suffered after that. And now they're trying to say that, why don't we do this kind of give a little more recognition even to those who are leaving uh, undergraduate courses. But in America, for instance, they've done large studies almost with 11,000 engineering students. They've tried to see with many, you know, um, one study I saw had covered about 11, 12 universities because they were concerned that they want more students to come into these STEM courses and uh, science, technology, engineering, medicine. And they find that even there, it is very complex. Even if they allow some fle flexibility within engineering, not to leave engineering, but to take one uh, course in engineering and go to another stream or from one uh, institution to go to another. Even when they've given that kind of flexibility, they've seen that it has, and the, these models that are coming to us are from there. I just want to say that these multiple pathways have affected uh, issues of race, gender, and other, other factors which push out students more. And people are saying that that has not been looked into. You look at it only as a very linear model and see which student came in and when that student went. You don't look at the cultures within which students can be retained or the stickiness of a subject they're saying. Something that can right. retain a student or other subjects which repel students. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Diversity also and race also. Thank you so much, Janita. It was a pleasure talking about this very important uh, subject with you. I'm afraid we have run out of time. Hope to have you back again sometime. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.